Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How are you today? I am so excited because I have a guest today that I can't wait to tell you about and I can't wait to share with you. So, uh, you, you know, if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis that I don't often have guests, you know, many podcasts, their format is a guest every week or most weeks. And I, when I, when I finished my 100th episode, I did sort of analysis of that and saw that I'd only had guests about a 10th of the time. So I'd had about 10 or 11 guests over those first 100 episodes. And it's because I'm very picky about who I let talk to you guys and let's speak with you. Um, there, I get a lot of requests. I get requests at least one a day from people who want to be on this podcast. And I'm very selective about who kind of makes the cut. And, and Angela Civitella is one of those people. So I'm really excited to have her on today. Um, and I want her to start by kind of telling you about herself. But before that, I want to kind of tell you what we're going to be talking about. So today's topic is recovering from career lows. And I was really drawn to that topic uh, by Angela because that's not something that I've talked about very much, if at all, on this podcast. My target market, as I said before, is kind of high achieving, kind of been, you know, straight upward trajectory. And I kind of complete the loop for you in terms of the marketing documents, the job search strategy, the interviewing skills, all the pieces that you need to kind of complete that loop. But Angela has a really great story and a really great message about when those things happen, whether those things are of your own doing or they are not. How do you deal with that and how do you move on from it? So Angela, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a true pleasure to be with you. I feel like we've already made friends with each other. We've never met and we've only talked on the phone one time prior to this, but I feel like we're all friends now. I do. I do as well. It's a great feeling to uh, to be with you and to speak with you. So why don't you start by telling the listeners a little bit about your background and about your company? And I think, am I pronouncing it right, Intende? That is perfect. Yes. yes. Perfect. Tell us about you. So my trajectory into the business world is not uh, an, I didn't have an obvious beginning. I come from a, a very patriarchal uh, background. Uh, my background is Italian. And in Italian families where the, the head of the household is a very prominent, uh, my father was a very prolific businessman and had high hopes to groom his son, who was the firstborn in my family, uh, to take over uh, one day whatever interests my father was building on. Where the trajectory of my life changed dramatically is that my father passed away when I was 19. He was 49 years old. He was stricken with leukemia, a very rare form of leukemia, and he died at a very, very young age, uh, leaving all of us uh, behind, uh, leaving behind a very young family. Uh, my mother was very young. She was 39 when he passed away. Literally overnight, I went from being told my whole life that I really just had to aspire to marry well and to have children to now uh, being told that I had to roll up my sleeves and uh, as soon as I finished uh, my degree in, I, I have a, a double major in finance and economics, that I would then have to do my part 
and be a decision maker and a provider for the family. So I found myself going through what most people go through later on in life. I had an identity crisis at 19 years old. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Because I had no clue what being in business meant. Uh, I was overlooked based solely on my gender, uh, on uh, being involved and uh, being, you know, redirected any questions with regards to what my father was building and what he was doing. It fell all on my brother's shoulders. After his passing, uh, my mother basically, you know, sat, she's now the matriarch is summoning me. I felt summoned and uh, said to me, whenever you get finished with your degree, whatever intentions you had for yourself, well, you have to cancel that because now things are different. You're going to have to, you know, take, take over with your brother, all the things that your father left behind and uh, do your part. And I'm like, I, I'm not sure I understand what that means. Well, she says, I guess you're going to, you know, just going to have to wing it. And indeed, that's what it was because I, you know, had to, I'll never forget, I had to call and make an appointment with my brother to meet with him for the very first time, a certain business that I had to take over. And I'm like, do other families work this way? Like, I'm not sure that that, I don't know, it's rather cold, but I guess, you know, that's, I felt like I had to fall in rank after my father passed away. And so I did. I scheduled an appointment with my brother. He had me waiting in the reception area for about 25 minutes. As all the employees that I was about to assume would be walking by, they would look at me and say, like, why are you, why are you sitting here? And I'm like, well, I'm waiting to be seen by my, by my brother. And so that was amusing. That was interest, an interesting way to, I, I, I was unbelievably intimidated. And I felt completely out of my element. Anyway, had a meeting with him. He gave me a, a financial statement of one of the businesses that I was supposed to assume. We had a five and a half minute meeting, went through the profit and loss, the uh, net earnings. And he says, all right, you're on your way. You're on your own. Let's see what you can do. And there began my trajectory into the business world. Wow. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by two things. One is super long uh, learning curve there for you, five and a half minutes. That's fantastic. And second of all, you know, most students in college, I I have 22 years of experience in college career services, and most, you know, 21 and 22-year-olds are trying to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their lives, and you were told what you were going to do for the rest of your life at an even earlier age than that. Correct. Correct. Fascinating. So here I am, all I ever expected was to have to look cute. <laughs> and uh, now we had to, you know, see if I actually had any white matter <laughs> and uh, see how that would uh, be able to, uh, how I could apply all that into, uh, into assuming a business. And I have to tell you, I think I got very lucky and I recognized that I was favored because the team that I assumed understood my inequities and they took me in it wasn't me taking them in they took me in i became a leader my team made me a leader by their grace by their understanding and i think as a love letter to my father thought well enough of me and recognized certain um, attributes that i possibly shared with my dad and they decided to 
groom me, groom me to become the leader that they needed. So I owe it all at the beginning to the team that I assume because I had no idea what it meant to be a leader. I didn't know if I could lead. I knew I had a take charge personality, but I had no, that's very different from being an effective leader. Very different. And a lot of people make that mistake. They think that because they have initiative, that they know how to delegate and that they know how to create fluidity and productivity with a group of people that they assume. That's not necessarily so. And I found out the hard way that that wasn't correct. And to, so my trajectory was to becoming and feel more importantly, be, more, more than becoming, but feeling like I was a leader took about six years, but I got there. It was painful. It was lonely. It was very sad for me because I was facing it alone. I didn't know back then. This is 25 years ago. I had no idea that there was coaches, someone that I could go to for guidance and, and, uh, um, and advice and constructive workshops whereby I could learn along the way and not just depend on my natural curiosity and will to want to, to, want to do well, but I could actually rely on someone else who, who could kind of take the edges off a little bit for me. And I have to tell you that my, it was, it was a very um, embryonic thought that I had back then. I thought to myself, you know what, if I can get through this, and if one day I'm still around and I have enough to say, I would love to be able to pay this forward to someone else and make it less painful for them if they too are in a situation where they're being groomed to take on either a family business or to take on a, uh, to become a head of a department in a large organization, to assume responsibilities that they're not necessarily ready for because as you know probably better than me you go to school you you're, you're taught the hard skills they forget it's all about soft skills once you get into the business world absolutely and I had absolutely zero soft skills <laughs> zero and that's the learning curve that I thought you know with all the different businesses that I've been involved in in my career as a decision maker and an, and an executive, that's the area that I thought, you know what, I, there, I have something to share with someone else who I'm sure one day will be faced, in a, put in a situation where they too don't know how to manage people. They don't know how to make a, a team uh, work and ha uh, alongside their vision, have them produce at a high level. Go out and you know make sure that they hire the right people. That's another big misconception. People hire people, but you're not necessarily hiring the right person for the right job. Exactly, exactly. And, and let's face it, it's a two-way street. A lot of people take on a job, not necessarily because it's the right job for them, but because they need to work. And as you know, the truth always comes out sooner or later. There's a mismatch. There's a misfit. Something's not right. And what gets affected is the fluidity, productivity, and the end results of a business. I'm sorry, is that the primary group that you work with now within 10 days? Are these folks who are kind of put into leadership roles and are lacking some of those kind of essential soft skills to get to be successful in that role? So my sweet spot, I like to call it, is leadership development and team building because that's what I learned to master throughout how I came about into the business world. 
So people that have issues with not knowing if they are the right leader, if they need to change their leadership style, that's another thing. Just because you're leading one way doesn't mean you can't lead another way. Leadership skills are taught. Leaders are made. There's a great misconception. People think that if you're born a leader, you are a leader. That's not true. There's a schooling in what kind of leader you need to be for your team or your business. And there are 22 different types of leadership styles. There's a, an out of sync between uh, a lot of businesses that between the leader and their team. So I come in, I step in and I usually try to assess as quickly as I can, if the leader is the right leader for the team that they have. So it's a process of going in and understanding the vision and seeing if the vision that's being implemented is clearly understood by the team. And then if the the, there is the right team in place to affect and to put into, into, into motion that vision. That's kind of the work that I do. And more often than not, when people come to me, they only realize when they start getting coached how much they really do need to get coached. Because I think we start it's that to, way with a lot of people. They, oh, yeah, of uh, course. Especially people who haven't been brought up in an environment of coaching. It's, it's such a new experience or people have a very um, misguided notion of what coaching is depending on, I don't know, uh, someone else's experience or some television show that they've watched um, and they that's all that they know. So, so I'm wondering, our topic today is recovering from career lows. And, and again, that really spoke to me. So I'm wondering, what are those, some of those career lows that you faced early on? I, I can give you a plethora of lows that I faced. <laughs> they were all low. <laughs> one of them, because I didn't know what I was doing. I'll tell you one very, very powerful experience that I, that I went through. We had a we had a business. Um, the business that I took over was a business that was involved in um, the import and and distribution of um, of stone finishing floor uh, materials. They gave me, <laughs> in their infinite wisdom. When I say they, I mean my brother, uh, because back then he was you know the person, the go-to person. Because again, the background that I came from, right? How dare I even think that I could be. Uh, put in a position where I could decide what was good for me, right? Mm -hmm. Let me speed it up a little bit for you. I'll, I'll give you the end today. I, I, I won. I ended up winning. Okay, <laughs> And then we'll get back to the details. But they, I got, you know, I was told I had to be involved in product sourcing. And that meant me traveling all over the world, essentially, to source out different products for us to be able to bring to market in the North American market to sell either on projects or to the end user, consumers, et cetera. And I went to my first and my first trade show. And when I showed up, the person I, I had a meet an appointment with said to me, are you sure you're, you're here at the right trade show? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, the shoe fair and the fashion week ended yesterday. Are, oh, I have a face. I wish you could see my face right yeah. now. And I looked at him and I was, and please keep this into perspective. I was all of 24 years old when this was going on. I, here I am, I am in Italy, miles and miles away from home. And I have this guy who tells me this. And so I looked at him 
And this is where you're so full of ambition. And I, I say sometimes ignorance is bliss because not knowing what to do, I just went on instinct. I took out my agenda. I opened my agenda. And I said to him, I said, you see all these appointments? These are all people that want to sell to me. Are you interested in selling to me? Because if you're not, there are plenty of people that are ready to replace you. I had zero diplomacy back then or tact. But then again, that quickly changed how he treated me. And I have to tell you, I got the best service. I got the best product. Everything was delivered on time. And we ended up having a most respectful, fruitful working relationship that I've ever had in my life with anybody. Oh, I think you did exactly what you needed to do in that situation because he needed to know that you were, you had on your, your, you know, big girl panties and you were, you were not there to buy shoes and handbags. You were playing with the boys. So that was one way that I dealt with what could have potentially been a catastrophic experience. So in answer to your question, a lot of my initial career lows were really about honing into my instinct, listening to my core, that inner voice, that inner compass that we all have. We all have it. And the more you listen to that inner voice and inner compass, guess what? The more attuned it, you become to being able to have it serve you in life to the point where today it is my guiding light. I absolutely, I didn't know back then. I just thought that I was winging it. No, I wasn't really winging it. I was being guided by something that internally told me that this was right and this was wrong. So going from a very instinctive reaction to something, as you go on in life and as you keep growing in business, the good news, I guess, is that a lot of things repeat themselves. And a lot of challenges that you meet going forward are things that more than likely have probably already happened to you. So if you listen really well and if you pay attention really closely, you kind of build a certain arsenal, a kind of like stockpile of things that you can, a reserve, I like to call it, of things that you can pull from whenever you are met with a challenge. But the initial connection is really about self-awareness. You really need to understand what you are, who you are, and how you want to impact your purpose in the world. And what is that purpose? A lot of people forget to ask themselves those questions. And I think because I was put in a situation where it was either I had to sink or swim, in desperation, I asked myself those questions. But today, because there's so much information out there available for all of us to read and to be self-taught with, those questions today are a lot easier and much more accessible for people to, to, to tap into. There's a lot more self-awareness going on today than there was when I started. Um, Absolutely. And co coaching is such a big part of that to help people recognize that. And I, I couldn't agree more with you. I call it my kind of my gut or my instinct. And whenever I have in my professional career or personal career, ignored that gut and what it was telling me it has been to my detriment so i appreciate you bringing that up there certainly you need to know how to do certain things 
uh, in business. You need a certain skill set and a certain knowledge base, but you cannot underestimate how important it is to, to tap into your gut instinct and even when it doesn't, sometimes especially when it doesn't make sense on paper. Another thing that I found was, a, was an important attribute to develop two things that I think are grossly underestimated. And that is your ability to be an active listener and your ability to observe. And those have been my greatest teachers. And I never realized how much we really don't listen when things are being told, when you are participating in a conversation, a conference, whatever the case may be that requires you to be still and to not focus on what you have to reply with, but to really, really focus on what's being said. I have found that to be a very important tool to develop. And a lot of people have a hard time, they have a hard time understanding that there's such a difference between listening, just listening, and not listening because you want to have an answer ready to what you're being, what you're being told. So very true. So very true. And I think also when we were talking the first time, Angela, you mentioned some job changes in your early career, some things that happened. So you've had those kinds of experiences in terms of career lows as well. Am I right? Correct. So this business that I was involved in, uh, the, the market was changing dramatically in this type of industry that I was involved in. And there just wasn't fair like it used to be anymore. And it was, you know, being a participant, a sideline participant to a slow death. <laughs> and rather than bring it to its, you know, very anticipated demise, I decided to do something positive with it, not just let it go. And I got lucky again. I, luck has played luck, and and being able to to make the necessary decisions in, in in a very timely way have been have been my my an incredible force for me. And I decided to sell it to somebody who was looking to get into that business that had a better business not a better business model, a more appropriate business model to be able to take and move on with it because I wanted to, I was ready to go into something else because that was something I had assumed that my father started. And I had had interest and an intention to start into something completely different, which was real estate. And so from a very low period whereby I was watching, you know, the demise of this business, I got very lucky that I was able to package it up, you know, very nicely. And I found someone that continued the legacy that my father started and, and he bought the business. In that respect, I was able to, again, notice how, I, I, at least I'm, I'm hoping that that's what I'm, I'm conveying today. There's a lot of uh, focus on what your true will is. My will has been stronger than anything. And it's dictated a lot of my decision-making, a lot of the actions or inactions that I've either taken or not taken with regards to whatever I'm facing. So I think my will to want to make sure that even if I'm no longer involved in something, that I leave it the right way was paramount to me. And that's really an internal thing about, you know, what type of value system and moral code you have, even in business. And even more so in my situation, because it was 
something that had a very tender uh, meaning to it because it was something that was given to me by my dad or indirectly by my father. I wanted to make sure that it got treated with the utmost respect. And I found someone that uh, ensured that because they had a true, true passion for that business. And as a matter of fact, it's, it still exists today. So you've got these things that are going on that are, you know, not, in some cases, not really of your choosing and some dis- hard decisions that you needed to make. How did you navigate those situations as they were happening? So how did you really take the steps to move forward? What, what was your thought process during those times? So as everything that you are faced with, I think it's really important to stay still in the moment and to really not react in an impulsive or reactionary way to whatever it is that's in front of you, because you usually end up making mistakes. So I would organize agendas for myself. In each and every circumstance that I had to face, I would organize an agenda where I had where I, where I was, where I could be, and where I needed to be. In other words, what it helps to do when you create these lists and these agendas is that it helps crystallize your thought process and you can actually see it. If I could see it, I could do it. You're actually bringing whatever thought process you have to life and it becomes undeniable. You're really releasing it out there into the universe and it becomes real. And now it's something that you need to take care of. And what's important is to be able to create the small wins first, small steps, things that are quick fixes that could lead you to a bigger issue that you need to handle, to avoid getting overwhelmed with what's in front of you. It's always a matter of being able to manage the preponderance of what you're facing, the stress level of what you're facing, the anxiety, because those are things that kind of get in the way of you being able to think clearly. Anxiety, stress, fear, failure. These are all things that, believe it or not, if you handle them properly and rechannel them, they actually work for you and not against you. And I have found that being able to do the small things first and build my way, my, my way up to feeling more confident to handle more significant and more impactful outcomes has been my way through to the other side whenever I've had to face a problem. I think that's great advice. And I was thinking as you were saying that of, of my clients that are in job search transition. So they've been laid off, they've quit, they want to leave. And, you know, I, I know there's the kind of thought out there about sort of, you know, Eden, what is the, the take the big bite, whatever the, the analogy is that I've heard before, kind of do that big thing first thing in the morning. But I find in my work, I like to get some little things done because I get to mark some things off the t- that day's list. But I think in terms of job search, even those small things, and this is what I tell my clients, and, they, and then they come back and tell me over and over again that it's true. It's just taking some steps, not busy work, not avoidance work, not look sitting in front of a, a, a computer looking at job boards all day long, but really writing down, okay, here are the things I need to do. Here's what I need to brush up on. Here's who I need to talk to. And even if you do one of those things a day, there is this sense of momentum and this sense of moving forward and this sense of coming out of that darkness that, that you were in as this thing happened. Would you agree with that? 
I completely agree. And you said a very powerful word just now, movement. Yes. You have to keep moving. Now, if that means, you know, a lot of people, they either, if they're downsized or if they're laid off or if they quit, whatever the circumstance is, that they're no longer part of that work environment that they've been in. A lot of people like go home, stay home. You know, they're like, ah, you know what? I'm going to take a month or two off. No, (laughs) don't do that. Why don't you, you have to keep re-engaging yourself so that you don't lose your momentum because you never know when the next opportunity will come up. So I force my clients and I tell them, get up and get up like you're going to work. Find something today that's productive for you to do. Go to a networking event. Go to a seminar. Go to a workshop. Meet a bunch of people for coffee somewhere. Engage into conversation, into exchange of information with people. Keep your routine going. Don't stop because your work environment has been taken away from you or you've removed yourself from your work environment. That's not a reason to stop because then you get into a lot of people I find get into, and I don't know if this is something that you encounter, they get into this inertia where it's hard. Now all of a sudden like getting out of the house becomes so difficult, right? Yes. So true. And I, I always liken it to that physical physics principle of an object in motion tends to stay in motion and an object at rest tends to stay at rest. And I find that so true. I tell my clients, you get 48 hours to grieve. So if you get let go on a Friday, have at it, you can just, you know, put your sackcloth and ashes on the whole weekend and just be as pitiful and pathetic as you want to be. And then Monday morning, we're going to get going on this thing and we're going to start making progress. And, and to another point that you talked about, in terms of that, you never know when that opportunity is going to go along. I was actually working with a, um, I do some outplacement work um, with a, with a company here in the U S and I was working with one of those clients and she was kind of at first thought she wanted to retire. Now she's like, I don't want to retire, but I want to do something part-time. I think I want to start in the fall and I want to do some gardening now. And my grandkids are going to be here in the summer. I'm going to start looking for a job in the fall. And I said, no, 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 no. Because if you start in the fall, you're not going to have a job until January and you are going to get bored with your garden. You know, there's only so much dirt you can move. And quite frankly, I didn't tell her this, but I think she'll probably get bored of the grandkids too. And then we mapped out, <laughs> we mapped out a strategy for just some little things. We talked about some specific networking skills uh, or some networking events and kind of how to approach them and, and where to find them and all of that. We're updating her resume between now and then. And there was, you know, one or two other little things that were very manageable and she could still do all the gardening she wanted and all the grandkids she wanted. But ideally she's going to be set up as soon as she, if it's the day after Labor Day, she's going to be in a job by then because she's doing it now. And we, we likened it to farmers planting and sowing their seeds and reaping their harvest. You can't, (laughs) I said, hun, because she lives on a farm. I said, honey. You cannot plant the corn seeds in September and stand there and go, hey, come on, hurry up, hurry up, let's go. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. So when I said it that way, she really got, she really understood what we were talking about here, that we're going to be, we're going to be planting and we're going to be working in the soil and we're going to be harvesting that crop in the fall now. So I'm wondering what advice you would give to listeners. So from these experiences that you've been through and people who might be in the midst of a career low now, or maybe 
they are one of those people that that have had one in the past maybe it's a year ago and they haven't snapped out of it and they haven't gotten that forward mo momentum they've allowed themselves to get very complacent what is some advice that you would give those people take action immediately if you can't be something that's work related then do something that's community related get involved go down to i don't know your local community center see if you can make a difference there get a better get a get a gauge at, as to getting re-engaged into making and doing something that can actually be rewarding and recreate that positivity inside you that will give you that forward motion again to want to get even deeper into whatever it is where you can find your joy again to want to be a participant in life again whether it's work-related, family-related, community-related, do something, take action. In the smaller things, take, action, take on a, a project that you've always wanted to do, that you've always set aside because you didn't have enough time to be able to do it. Get into something that gets you in feeling inspired again, that gets you around people again. Because when you're in that type of a, of, a, of a mode, you tend to isolate. You don't talk to anybody. You, your phone barely rings. You're, on, you're watching, you know, catching up on all your news. You're watching maybe all your reality shows that you never had time to Guess what? No one's talking to you back. You're just, all you're doing is just passively engaging. You're not, you're not being proactive about anything. Proactivity is key to being able to restart all of the channels that you need to have intact so that you can seize the moment. And the moment is just that. It can happen anywhere. It can happen you walking into a coffee shop. It can happen you going to, I don't know, pick up your car because you brought it for servicing. Somewhere there always is an alignment with you being able to cross into what your next adventure or opportunity is by you, you just being and staying engaged and active. I think that's so perfect, Angela. And, and there's so many benefits to that, just getting started again and deciding that you're done with the sofa, you're done, you know, couch surfing and, and you know, you've read all the books you could possibly read. I think that when you, especially if you've been in this position for a while, so you've been out of work and you've, it's, it's a year now, let's just say it's been a year you have probably lost your enthusiasm about your profession because you haven't engaged in it in so long. And so I will often talk to clients about who else needs what you offer on a volunteer basis. And I find that most people don't understand that question. And then when we get to thinking about, okay, so you're an accountant and you've been out of work for a year and guess what, it's March, so guess what's coming? Why don't we volunteer for taxes with VITA or one of those organizations? Or what nonprofit, what's your skill set? If you were in marketing a year ago, oh my gosh, any nonprofit would jump at the chance to have you in marketing. And so you're brushing up on your skills. You're getting back among the living. There might be a job opportunity that you, that happens as a result of this volunteer that you could never foresee. And you're re-engaging your enthusiasm for your profession so that then when you go out and look for a job in earnest, you can be genuinely excited about the opportunities and you can show that enthusiasm in the, in the application and the interview process. So there's just no downside to what you're suggesting, Angela. It astounds me that people forget that their skills are transferable. 
I just, I can't, I don't, I don't, I never understand why they think that what they know, what they've learned, what they've been doing can only be put into, into play in their sector, in their industry. It's come on, like, let's be a little bit more broad minded here. Everything. One thing is, is I know to be true. There isn't a single thing in life that's not transferable except death. (laughs) (laughs) Taxes are transferable. Everything is transferable except death. So I, I, I'm always just so fascinated when people look at me wide-eyed because they, they, they never thought about what you just said, that here I, I'm an accountant. I've been working either in private practice or in a pl- public sector my whole life. Yeah, why don't I see if there's some sort of a nonprofit or community center or anything whereby I can just re-engage and apply what it is that I know for the betterment of what it is that they're doing. A lot of people forget that they have so many layers to what it is that they've been doing their whole lives or for however long they've been doing that along the way, it's not just about, you know, acquire, you know, rinse, repeat. You're also acquiring people knowledge, task knowledge. So many attributes are added to what it is that you think is a very simple skill set. And it actually turns out to be something that's so versatile. And another thing I find that's a handicap, people think that if their skill set aren't fully, completely used, they're no good. They can't add any value. They don't realize that out of 10 things that they're very good at doing, that those 10 things have each have a subsection of a different area, of a different tangent that you can apply yourself to. So there's a whole world of things that opens up when you start thinking a little more broad-minded about who you really are, what you're really capable of doing, and how many people would love the opportunity to be able to see if you can be included in what it is that they're doing. So it's a lack of information. It's a lack of really being able to hone in on a vision, on a purpose. So true, so true. And, and I think also with the volunteer piece, people don't understand that. They think that they have to see a posting somewhere. We need this person as a volunteer. I am here to tell you, and I know Angela will echo this sentiment, walk yourself in the door and offer yourself, especially when you're talking about a civic organization, a nonprofit where they are hungry for volunteers, the bar is going to, in many cases, not going to be that high. So this is a great opportunity for you to maybe venture away from what you've already done and take a little bit of a tangent and see how you like and how you fit in into a little bit of a different area. But you can craft your own volunteer experience all day, every day. And the benefit of that is that you're not responding to someone else's preconceived notion. You're able to go in there and say, here's what I can bring to your organization. Let's do this. And it can be exactly what you want it to be or very close to what you want it to be. I've never heard of a, of a nonprofit saying, turning someone away. Nope. Hey, you need to go away now. (laughs) That would be a first for me. That would be a first. I was the president of YMCA for for several years, and and we were just like, please, please come help us. (laughs) Exactly. And to your point that you just mentioned before, we're so uh, traditionally 
inculcated into the sense that we need to be called upon an interview and we need to see if we're the perfect fit for the company. Sometimes it requires maybe just a little bit of creativity on our part and approach a company, an individual, an association, whatever, and let them know, guess what? I think I could do this for you. I did some research. I saw some loopholes that you're not looking into, that you're not benefiting from. There may be some areas that you're not maximizing on. And guess what? I think I can bring value to what it is that you're doing or not doing in this case. Because I think this would be an, inter an interesting direction for you to take your business model. It's not just a passive situation. It's also a way of you being able to participate and be engaged in realizing your own future. So you're just not just waiting by the phone, or in this case, email, mm -hmm. to see if somebody's gonna you know, respond to your job application. It's also you being proactive and saying, you know what, I wanna speak to these people because I've done some research and I noticed that they're not doing a series of things that I know will only add value to the business model that I've come to understand. Well, you are, you are singing my language because that is, that is exactly what I teach my clients in their job search is to be active with their strategy and not just respond to, to job boards. So is there anything else you want the listeners to know before, uh, before we wrap it up today, Angela? I want everyone to know that there's an opportunity anywhere, everywhere, and you don't have to wait for it to come looking for you with a little bit of uh, clear vision, faith, belief in who you are and what your purpose is that's meant for you, you can go and get anything that you want. And there's a timing and I believe there's an order to things, but you have an, you have an absolute say in how that order takes and falls into place. Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> Jeez, I, we're on the we're on the same page with just everything that you've said. But I'm taking so glad control, to hear that. <laughs> taking I'm control so of that and being being very specific about what you what you can bring to the table and going out there and getting it and not waiting for someone to knock on the door or, you know, chime your inbox. And that applies to whether you're trying to seek a volunteer experience or a full time job or, like my client, a part time job in the fall after the kids go back to school. So. Um, how can people reach you, Angela, if they would like to, uh, to engage with you? I am uh, reachable by email at Angela at Intinde.com. I am on all social media, uh, on, on LinkedIn under Angela Chivatella. Um, I have a website, www.intinde.com. Uh, again, on Facebook, Intinde has a page. I'm reachable just about anywhere. <laughs> and I'll put all of those links in the show notes for you guys to, to uh, find. And any final words you'd like to give the folks, Angela? I would hope that uh, this inspires uh, someone today to get them moving again. Uh, I'll know that uh, what I have said has given value to not only your listeners, but also to you. It's been a true pleasure for me to have this time with you. And I hope that uh, we can do this again. It was lovely. Absolutely. We shall, Angela. So um, as always, you guys, I want to be your career coach. 
And so reach out to me, you know where to find me on the socials and that's always in the, in the show notes as well. Uh, but let me help you. So many of you have been reaching out and scheduling that consult so that we can move forward with your job search. And I would love to help you with that. And so uh, Angela, I will put all of your information in the show notes. Everybody. Will I also, that. if I may, I would yeah. also like to offer that anybody that would be interested, I'm offering now for a limited time, free consults, uh, 60, 60 minute consults to, to anyone that would like to, uh, to book a consultation with me. Excellent. And I'll put that information in the show notes as well. So thank you so much. And you guys have a great week and I will see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach. So be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.